Jockey, trainer, stallion owner. When it comes to Kyle Lola, he does just about everything. Kaylee got a chance to catch up with Kyle a couple weeks after his big win at the Royal Crown. From traveling with a stallion to keeping a level head after big wins and hard losses, Kyle had a little advice for so many aspects of the industry. You're going to want to stay tuned. If you haven't booked your stallion yet for 2022 and want top quality bloodlines, great incentives, and an affordable rate, here you go. Good Guy Blazin is an own son of the legendary Blazin Jetalina out of Frenchman Cinnamon, who represents the magical cross of Dash to Fame and Frenchman's Guide Daughters. She already produced earners of over $55,000. This upcoming sire has the best bloodlines in our industry to pass on to his foals, and this is the perfect time to get one of his foals from the start. He is enrolled in the Minnesota Futurity, Colorado Classic, Cowboy State, Gridiron, Cornhusker, and the VGBRA incentives. Go like his Facebook page under Good Guy Blazing. They're doing a giveaway for one stud fee. Winners will be announced on November 15th, so don't delay. Go give them a like and get your contract booked. His early booking fee until December 31st is only $850, a great value to the breeder. All right, Kyle, you're up next. Kayla, you've got the mic. This is The Money Barrel. I'm super excited to have Kyle Lola on the podcast. We've been trying to get together since basically he won the Royal Crown, but finally we got it figured out in between exhibitions at the Ruby Buckle. So thank you for joining me. You're welcome. How's it going down there? How's Memphis treating you so far? You know, I just got in probably around four o'clock today. It's it's good. I exhibitioned. I'm number 50 tomorrow and we got settled in. I feel like my horses are doing good, and hopefully we're ready. How many do you have with you? I have two, but I'm only running one in the fraternity. Okay, that makes it a little bit easier. Yep, I had to bring a, I've been riding an open horse for a client, and she's coming down with her other open horse, and I didn't really want to stay all week, so she's going to run that horse that I've been riding Saturday and Sunday, so I'll get to go home thursday after the paternity perfect is is it your stud that you're running yes ma'am dolly streaking badger i can't wait to watch i can't wait to watch he's one of my favorites <laughs> he's a good boy that's for sure when you know this point in the year you, the horses are already so seasoned and everything how do you approach like exhibitioning when you go to a race you know it's i always try to fill them out um usually you kind of know your horse and what they've been doing wrong all year. So you try to fix that every time you go to exhibition or just tweak that spot that they want to give you trouble. Um, this particular horse, you know, he's been good and solid all year. So I try to just feel him out. And honestly, today, or this fraternity, is the first one that I go to that we only get one exhibition. Um, usually we can buy them or get two or three, and he probably don't need any exhibitions, but I always feel better <laughs> if I get a couple extra. So I really don't I, – I was kind of questioning myself. Do I breeze in three today, or do I 
stop him, school him, and soften him up. I went with stopping him at the barrels and just keeping him soft and quickening his feet rather than breezing him through. Hopefully it works out. Yeah, that really does kind of change the game plan, and it sounds silly to be like, well, if I got one more time through there, but, yeah, if you have two or three versus just one go, um, I always kind of second-guess it myself. Yeah, like it's – like I said, you always try to fill the horse. Um, I always try – like I prefer three. School – go through once slow, school them up, and then, of course, you want – brings them through to see how they're going to feel, let them feel the ground, and then either be done with that or go back slow and school them again. Usually if I get two, only two, I'll breeze them through the first time and then go back and fix some things. But today we only got one, so we'll just see how it goes. And this horse is really fast, so I don't ever have to encourage him to run. So I thought maybe it was a good idea if you just look around and see the arena. Yeah, that makes sense. Are you going to wrap up with him at the BFA? Because he's four, right? Nope, he's five. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, I'm going to go to the BFA, um, and I have to run him in the derby, and then you can roll over into a five-year-old fraternity. And then I'm going to go to the BBR in the BBR fraternity, uh, like, what did they call it? The world finals. Oh yeah. The the one in Oklahoma city. Yeah. Okay. No, it's OKC fraternity. There you go. Okay. Do they have a, do you have to run them in the derby there too? Or is that a five-year-old? I don't even know. They have a, they have a five-year-old. I think they call it something fiber. Just one last opportunity for them. Yeah. It would be perfect. And I'll go to San Antonio as well. That's, the weekend after Thanksgiving, um, there's a, I don't have him qualified for the American. I haven't ran him at one yet. Um, and the one in San Antonio, the qualifier, the American qualifier there, they'll let you roll your time over into the fraternity. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So I've been to a couple like Ardmore. They had an American qualifier, but I'd have to run him three times. And I was like, nah, I'd rather not. So this way, in San Antonio, I can run him in the qualifier. It'll roll over and then run him Sunday in the second round of the fraternity. Awesome. So you still have some stuff left to go to with him. Yep, for sure. Do you have anything for next year that you're taking to the BFA to get going for 2022? Um, I don't. I had a couple, or I'm going to, more than a couple, I'm going to say four or five. And had a little bit of bad luck. Um, one of my best, probably my best one died. And then I lost one, didn't lose. The owner took her back for a break last week. And then my other two, we're just going to hold them over. So how do you decide when you are going to hold them over um, as a five-year-old? Because I'll be... Honest, I was actually surprised to hear he's only five because just most of you guys from the South all run four-year-olds. Like, nobody runs a five-year-old anymore. Um, so how do you decide to hold them over a year? So um, so the two that I'm going to hold over, I knew instantly on one of those. Um, she, She's a little bit, 
goofy. She's super immature. Um, and I just knew she was not, she didn't have the brain capacity to take everything I was trying to show her. Yeah. So like, uh, we'll just give her a little bit more time. And then the other one, he was a superstar at the beginning and really wanted to work. But then when I started taking him for exhibitions, the more I'd run him, the more he would get frantic. And, like, he started moving his feet really fast. And he was just doing some abnormal things for him. And I just felt like he couldn't take the pressure. Um, Probably any other cult, I would have kept working on it and maybe used a little bit of sedation to try to let them tell him it's okay. But this cult, I mean, he has a lot of talent and I think he can be a true winner. So I thought, you know, we'll just, we're not going to pressure him into it. We're not going to take our chances. We'll just hold him over and let it be what it's going to be. Yeah. That's probably a smarter decision. For sure. Yeah. And how yeah. did you decide to hold your stud over? I really did not decide that. Um, I rode for, I ride for Todd Mott. And Todd um, sent him to me with a couple of other horses. And whenever I got him, he was four. And I got him in October of last year. Oh, okay. Yeah. And... We went from there, and Todd was like, no, I really need to sell some horses. And I said, well, what do you need for him? <laughs> and he was like, he told me. And I'm like, where do I sign? Where do I sign? <laughs> <laughs> but so that's how, that's how that horse ended up being a um, five-year-old fraternity horse. It was not my decision. But I don't mind r- running five-year-olds. They're so much more mature, and they're easier. Yeah. Well, and nowadays, there's so many opportunities in, you know, the last half of the year. Like, just because you don't go to Fort Smith or the BFA, like, it doesn't doesn't matter. Correct. I mean, there's so much more money. I mean, now with these incentives, studying incentives, like, those don't really even matter. I guess it depends on who you are and what your goals are, whatnot. But like you said, other than slot races, the big slot races, and BFA and Fort Smith, all of them are five, four and five-year-olds. Yeah. Did you grow up riding or kind of walk us through like how you grew up and then, you know, got into the fraternity world? Okay. I, I've been raised, I mean, since I've been a small child, my parents were into horses my dad's side of the family um his mom was big into the race horses and his dad was big into the cutters and cow horses um so my dad and his brother were got into the race horses kind of like their mom and my dad's brother was a jockey and my dad was the trainer my mom's side of the family, they were just more ranch horses. They both, both sides of my family has horses. Um, and 
I just, I knew it was my thing. Ever since, my mom said ever since I could crawl, I was, loved animals. It didn't matter what it was, I just wanted to mess with animals. So, it kind of began like that. I really, so, we never really, my mom and dad really never did show horses. So, to put me on a horse when I was two, three years old was kind of not a thing. But I always went to the racetrack with my dad, and we did stuff like that. And working cattle with my grandpa, that's when I was able to get on one of his horses and go ride and help them move cows. So I did that for, I mean, I want to say probably till I was seven or eight years old. And then I wanted to get more serious. I have an aunt that barrel raced, and I started thinking around with the barrel horses and I also did cutters and rainers so I went back and forth with the actually I did all of it together <laughs> I rode barrel horses cutters and rainers for several years that kept you um, busy I'm sure yes it did it kept <laughs> me busy oh, my parents always made sure I was busy doing something and it was usually a lot <laughs> uh, i galloped racehorses for my dad before school um and after school three days a week i'd go to the rainer trainer and two days a week i'd go to the cutter and somewhere in between there i had to ride my barrel horses and of course we had show cows and pigs so i was super busy <laughs> really busy because yeah sh yep. Livestock is a whole different deal, too. Like, that can be just as time-consuming as the horses. For sure, for sure. It's amazing I even got through school as <laughs> little studying that I did. But um, I never was really interested in the whole fraternity thing. I just liked going to the barrel races. In high school, I was probably my junior, senior year, I got burnt out. Because I just had so much on my plate. And I was like, okay, I'd rather party and not really do this. <laughs> so I, I, we sold all of my horses. I kept one barrel horse that pretty much did everything for me. And um, I kind of partied. Then it was time to go to college. I went to nursing school. That didn't work out. And I was like, man, there's only really one thing I know how to do. And that's ride horses. So, of course, I got back into it, but I did not do the cutters or the rainers. I went straight to the burls. Did you finish nursing school and just decide I, that, like, eh, a real job isn't going to cut it? Or what made you, like, change your mind on that? I didn't, I didn't love it. I never really loved school. But in that time, I was, I guess I was so out with horses I didn't think that's what I wanted to do makes sense I thought about nursing school briefly and then I realized I don't like people that much <laughs> so yes, that, yep, yep, yep. I, I didn't think people. I could do that for a career for sure and it's not just people it's sick people <laughs> <laughs> yeah you you have to be a real caregiver and I'm I'm just not that great at that for sure for sure but once I got out into the real world and realized that partying and college was not my thing, I was like, you know what? 
horses are not so bad. <laughs> and once I got down and focused on just barrels, it was so much better. I mean, I I could focus on one thing because, of course, I didn't know what I was doing. I just was doing it and hoping for the best. And I felt like that with the rainers and the cutters and everything else. I was just doing what I thought was right. Yeah. <laughs> but once you really get down to studying one, you start figuring a little more things out. And, of course, we I still don't know everything. I learn new stuff every single day. Yeah, but being able to focus on one thing and, you know, kind of perfect your craft has to be a lot easier than doing everything. All of that. Correct. But I am really glad I did the cutter, cutting and reining. I mean, you learn so much horsemanship and just getting those horses broke. And because they're all, they're all so different. Those cutters, yes, they want them rocked back, but they want them broke at the shoulders. Where the rainers, they want them a little bit elevated. And I think barrel racing, you can go either way. Some of us trainers want them a little more broke at the shoulders and down on the front end, where others want our horses, they, we want them broke at the pole, but elevated in the front and rocked back. So I am... I, I I am glad I did a little bit all of it because I know the feel. I feel like I have got more feel doing those things than just riding a horse that wants to run. Yeah, that gave you a really good foundation to, you know, go into the fraternity side of things. For sure, for sure. And understanding cults. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When did you get into the fraternities or try to start stepping into that part of the industry? I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna say when I was 21. Um. So there was Black Star Ranch in Houma, Louisiana, which I'm from Louisiana, uh, a town called New Iberia. Houma, Louisiana is probably 45 minutes from there, and there was a ranch called Black Star Ranch, and Pete Owen was there, and um, obviously I quit college, so I needed a job. <laughs> because <laughs> I think my parents were about tired of paying for everything. <laughs> so I started that, and me and Pete, we got along great. We trained courses together, and we did that for about five years. Okay, so that gave you a really good start. Yep, and then I moved on to my, on my own, and it's been... It's been wild since then. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about like this year and the stallion you have. I mean, we know that you own it. So I'm excited to talk to you about also about like the owner aspect of things. But you guys have had a really good year so far. It's been really good. Um, that horse is placed at every fraternity except two. Um... He didn't place at the very first one I took him to. He was still a little green. Like I said, I didn't get him until October of last year. And in February, I took him, and they paid 10, and he was 11th in both rounds and the average. 
hole. Um, <laughs> the crying hole. <laughs> the dreaded crying yeah, hole. Exactly. But you know what? I wasn't even mad about it. I was like, this is, I'll take it. I'll take it. Like, he's so green. I've had only exhibitioned him two times before that. So I, I was totally happy with him. Was he started and, on the pattern before you got him? I, Andrea Klein had him. I'm not 100% sure how long. But yes, he was started he he knew the barrel pattern for sure yeah did you just have to fine-tune him a little bit to to fit with you and and then go on for sure i had to teach him uh, he i had to teach him how to raid and i mean he knew there was one right hand turn two lefts but as far as for doing it at a high lope or a high rate of speed he didn't know that as so much okay so he caught on pretty quick like that horse is just incredible and that's what i tell people all the time you know we can we can beat ourselves up and fight our heads but if those horses don't want to win we're not going to make them yeah a winner will find a way to win and that's all there is to it yeah that's the truth especially with how tough it is (laughs) like you have to have one that wants it exactly so i think that horse just wanted to win and that's what he does there's several times i come out the arena and i'm like wait a minute how did we just do that (laughs) but he found a way and that's what a good horse will do that's what a great horse does they just find a way to win so he came on pretty quick then for you and you know didn't place first but then you know all summer he's he's been doing awesome really good he has been doing really good he's placed well, I got three seconds, one first. We didn't have very good luck in um, Fort Worth. He fell down in the exhibitions at the Breeders' Challenge, oh. and it was only one go, and he was not – he fell down at the first barrel, and I just never got him to hook onto it. And he ran a five, and I think a, a low four or a high four got back. So we were just out. I think I was. I think they took thirty, and I might have been like thirty third or thirty fourth. So we were just out of it. But I'm not mad about it. Yeah, he probably was like, eh. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. thank you." <laughs> yeah. So how do you manage hauling a stallion, and like, do you take any special precautions with them? it's not easy luckily he is a good really good stallion and doesn't really give too much trouble he actually doesn't give any trouble um yes i do take precautions with him like when we're like the stall situation here in memphis they the stalls are really low and I did bring another Gildan with me, so of course that Gildan's on the side of him, and he does not care about Gildan's. But the stalls on the other side of him and the ones on the back of him, there's no horses in those stalls yet. And it's like, what if they mares? Or what if I'm in, what if these people get here in the middle of the night and they have a mare and they just put them on the side of them? So you can. You really have to watch out for that. But luckily, he's been pretty good all year. Yeah, it's probably not so much watching him as it is watching everybody else around him. 
Correct, correct. And it is. It's the same thing at the jackpots. Like, when you go to a weeknight jackpot, I'm not worried about him, because I'll tie him to the trailer. I'm not worried about him setting back or getting away. But if someone else don't tie their their mare right, and she gets off of their trailer, and you have to worry about her going to him, that's what I worry about. So, as far as for saying it's fun pulling the stud it's not (laughs) it's really not as cool as it seems no i rather not ride them at all but it does make it a lot easier whenever you have one like him yeah you don't hear much out of him he doesn't he doesn't make he doesn't squeal honestly you don't most people don't even know he's a stallion but if you put him in a situation he's going to be a stallion yeah yeah (laughs) so you kind of glossed over it you're like oh we got two seconds and we got a first but like your first was a really big first (laughs) winning the royal crown is not just like oh i just won this jackpot (laughs) so walk us through the royal crown a little bit because he is a incentive stallion right like he you pay him into it yes he is paid into the royal crown so how do you i mean how did you i guess manage like entering for that much money on the line when you have that much invested and you know just making those runs when it counts so a streak of fling is paid up so that's how Dolly Streak and Badger, my stud, was able to run in it. Oh, okay. So not technically under your correct, name. correct. Oh. I did, I did pay him up in it, so his babies are eligible. Okay. to run at that deal as well, but um, no, I didn't. I didn't have to pay him up. The twelve, it's twelve thousand five hundred dollars to pay your stallion into a deal like that but i didn't have to do that to be able to run him how did have you ever won anything that big before no ma'am i have not so how did you i mean just like the first walk us through like your rounds like first round and then coming back the second round you know because like it's just always interesting to me because there's a little extra pressure when it's like that much money on the line it is um so I'll, i'll bring you all the way to exhibitions um Fritz, I've always ran this horse in a um, chain Loomis with a bonnet, which I don't usually ride anything with a bonnet, but I just felt like this horse might have needed one. Um, it's so loose, it probably does nothing for him. Um, and everything I've ever won on him was in a Loomis. So I got to the uh, Royal Crown, and I exhibitioned him in his Loomis and in his bonnet, and there was something telling me, like, you need more, you need a little more turn and quicker feet. And that pattern is small. So I decided, man, I'm going to go with a bridle. And I went with the um, Hemi, the ported chain Hemi, which Carrie Kelly makes. Mm-hmm. Um, because he doesn't run as hard in a bridle as he does in a in the Loomis. He runs a little more free, a little harder um, in the Loomis. But I knew that pattern was a lot smaller than we've been running in, running 
in. And I thought, let's just turn the barrels tight and see what happens. The first round, they were running. It was pretty fast, like before I went, because I was towards the end. And I didn't really, I don't really ever worry about the first rounds because that I feel like that's what puts you in the game. Now, the second rounds, they made me a little more nervous. But the first round, I just told myself, let him go. And I knew I had the bridle on him that he was going to find the barrels and turn them. Just try to go fast. And he fell down pretty bad at the first bar. He had a pretty bad slip, um, kind of lost his hind in and had to crawl around the first barrel. But he fell in the right direction. And then running across to the second, his hind end slipped out again, but not near as bad. And when he turned the third and ran out, and I, it wasn't only me, but everyone else could not believe how big he clocked. He got third that round. Wow. And the crowd just kind of like, whoa, where did that come from? So going into the second round, I was a little bit nervous because I knew I had a big chance of winning it. Um, the horses that were first and second, the first round, they were, because we were first, the ones that were first and second in the first round, they were first and third in the draw. Oh, in the first so they were at the they were at the end of the second go. Correct. Okay. <laughs> so when I ran, he had a really good run and he clocked faster the second round. And I was winning it. And I had to sweat it out all the way to the last drag. Were you just so nervous? <laughs> I was. And then I'm like, you know what? This horse because I know it sounds cheesy and all, but that horse owes me nothing. He really does. Like, I love him. It doesn't matter win, lose. It, he's my buddy. He never does really anything wrong. And I'm like, if I get second, I'm good with that. Yeah. If I get third, I'm happy. Because I'm coming home with a horse, a good horse, and a sound horse. Yeah. But I was very grateful that he did win it. And he deserved it. And that horse did. Did, a little bit did your phone just start going off? <laughs> it did. It did. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, y'all have to leave me alone for a little while. <laughs> That's awesome. I love, those, you know, just seeing people like, like the first time you win something to that level because it's really hard to win the fraternities. Like, it, it is, is. It is no joke to win at one of those. And to win at one at that level, like, that is just so cool. Yep. And it's really hard, like, a lot of people think, I've ridden some good horse. I'm going to try to word this correctly, I've ridden some good horses in my life, but this is probably the best horse I've ever ridden, um, as far as for in the fraternities, and then that was kind of solely mine, if that makes any sense. A hundred percent. I mean, because it there are, I tell people all the time, and sometimes it can be discouraging, but like you can have a really good horse and it still not win much at the fraternities. Like you have to have 
a great horse or, you know, a horse that's capable of running with the elite to place. So having one that's done so well all year that you own, like, that just doesn't happen every year. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, I've ridden easy French alibi. Um, JLs are making me rich. All fame, no bull. And, yes, those horses are absolutely amazing. They're great horses. But they weren't solely mine. Like, I might have had them in for a tune-up. Or next weekend, I might not be able to run them. Where this horse, he is mine. And I do get to run him every time I want to. And knowing that he's a stud and I kind of have something to prove on him. Like, I have to prove him Mm -hmm. to make, I guess, my life easier, better. (laughs) (laughs) To get him mares on his book. Exactly. It's a lot of pressure. And being on top is more pressure than... Being at the bottom, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. And I was going to ask that, is if it's easier or harder, like, being an owner riding your horse, or if, like, you're, like, an outside trainer and you have an owner watching you. Like, which one is kind of harder to manage? It's definitely harder riding an outside horse. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm the only trainer that feels this way. I try not to ride many people um that are going to pressure me like i don't deal with that very well like you have to believe in me and if you don't believe that i'm doing everything in my power to make your horse win then we're probably not going to be a very good team so if something happens like that part doesn't pressure me like i'm not worried about what they think or I've never really had an owner tell me, oh, you did this wrong or whatever. It's more to me like I feel like I've told these owners we I need to enter. And we all know how much these facilities are. They're anywhere from $500 to $1,000. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even more. Yeah. And when it's my owner's money and I've made them enter this horse, I feel like I need to do better i need to so those people don't waste that money where on one of my horses if i entered them it's to me it's like that money's already spent don't worry about that go on and make this horse as good as you can get him if it works out good if it doesn't oh well Oh, well. No, I, th- I think that's that makes sense and i like that you brought that up and you know if there's owners listening like that is the thing is if you don't have faith that your trainer's doing everything possible that you don't have to feel like you have to follow up or question, then you should probably find another trainer. Exactly. Like it probably won't it was probably won't fit until you find that person that you're like, I know they're doing everything possible. I'm not gonna even worry. Correct. Correct. And that's I mean, I don't I know there's a couple of owners that may get a little bit jealous or whatever like why is this person like why is your other owner's horse why are you winning on your other owner's horse why are you winning on your horse and my horse is not winning or doing it or whatever and i don't really care who owns what horse i have a relationship with every single one of those horses Mm -hmm. and 
want them all to win. I want to win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, at that point, when, when I'm walking through the barn trying to figure out which horse is next or which one's going to get a day off, that owner's nowhere. I'm not even thinking about that owner. I'm yeah. thinking about that end of that horse and as an individual and myself. Like, yeah, makes sense. And I think all trainers are like that. Exactly. I mean, it does a trainer no good to not have horses be successful. So sure. all of them For are sure. just trying to do the best they can to get them successful so they can either be sold or win a lot or keep winning with their next person. Like everybody's that, that should be the goal anyways. For sure. For sure. And I think it is with everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, As an owner, if we're going to get on that topic, I think as an owner, you need to just watch all of us trainers and see what style fits you the best. Yeah. Yep. And And especially what your goal is to either sell it afterwards, or if you're going to take it on, then you want to, be with somebody that you can, you know, ride behind. Absolutely. And once you pick that one trainer, you have to believe in them. You have to believe in their vet. You have to believe in their farrier. You have to believe in everything, their feeding program. Because if you don't, there's no use even, you need to find a new trainer. Because we don't do very well with being told what to do. Because it's like, why am I doing it? You do it if you know what you're talking about. (laughs) And I know that sounds bitter, but it's the truth. No, it's the truth. And there's plenty of people out there that want to train. So, you know, find somebody that that fits you. And then, like you said, kind of have faith and give it a little bit of time because miracles don't happen overnight. No, and, they don't. You know, that, that 1% better every day thing. Those, those, I always feel bad. Like the first couple times I take videos of cults and I think they're like, oh my God, they're doing so good. And then I look at the video prior and I'm like, oh my God, it looks the same. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't really want to send this because it looks like I've done nothing for the past month, but I promise it feels no. better. Exactly. So what? They have more feel. They're softer. They're quicker footed. Who cares if they're not going any faster? Exactly. Like, it's the way they go around the pattern. Like, I promise, they are getting a hang of it, even if it looks yep. the exact same. The first video, I was just handling them a lot more to make it look good. <laughs> the second video, they were doing it themselves. Yep, for sure. Want to hear more from Kyle, like his thoughts on stallion incentive programs as a stallion owner himself? Head on over to patreon.com and search The Money Barrel. For just $5 a month, the cost of a single exhibition, you'll gain immediate access to about 20 extra minutes with Kyle, as well as extended episodes with a lot of our Season 2 guests. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com and search The Money Barrel. Don't forget to follow Good Guy Blazin on Facebook. They're having a giveaway for one stud fee. Winner will be announced on November 15th, so don't delay. This is a great opportunity to set your program apart for years to come. All right, everyone, run fast, be safe, and we'll see you soon.